name's Jeff, if we haven't met yet. Excited to have you here. It's a good, good crew of people. We're starting our Advent series. Advent doesn't technically start until next week, so we're building into it. But I, I wanted to do a week to kind of set things up to kind of give us a foundation. Uh, we're going to do something in this sermon series that I think is super appropriate. I actually think as a church family, you're going to appreciate it, enjoy it, and learn something. Um, but I've never seen anyone else do a sermon series like I'm going to do. Uh, and as I've tried to explain it to a few people, I think of my sister-in-law just a couple days ago. She said, Jeff, what are you doing in your next sermon series? I was like, oh, let me tell you. And I just watched as this glassy-eyed look came over her face. <laughs> I was like, okay, no more telling you what I'm going to do until I actually do it. So I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do until we get there next week because I think I need to show you how we do it. But I'm going to lay a foundation this week. But I do enter with a little bit of trepidation. I, I don't know what it's like now. Our high school students have moved back to the front. I'm so excited. But when I was in high school, um, it was kind of cool to quote movies. It, you know, if you, if you could get the quote right and you had good timing, you were almost guaranteed to laugh. People were going to laugh when you quoted the movie. And so it was kind of a thing. We would memorize these, these movie quotes and repeat them. And one of the ones that still resonates in my mind came into my mind this week as I was thinking about what I'm about to do and some of the glassy-eyed looks that I've got. I won't tell you what movie it was from because it hasn't aged well, and I'm not proud to say I liked it a lot when I was in high school. But I will give you the general overview, and some of you, especially from my age range, will know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a ridiculous comedy, and near the end of the comedy, a father was going to be done with his business, and the son had decided he wanted to step into the role of leading the business, but there was another employee who was going to challenge the son for rights to run the company. And in order to resolve this, again, it's a ridiculous movie, but they have this like video TV game, not a video, TV game show trivia match to see who is going to win and get to run the company. And I believe the question was for the son. It was around economics. And he gave this like ridiculously horrible answer. And this is what the game show host said. This is my quote that I remember. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. To which our lead character said, okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine. But I enter with a little trepidation. I hope you don't leave here thinking, man, that was an incoherent rambling response, and everyone's dumber. I don't think that'll happen, but... But I enter with some trepidation because we're going to talk about some mystery. And we're going to get to a couple different places where language just won't take us all the way. Language is important, but it has its limits as you talk about an infinite God who doesn't fit neatly into categories that we create. Uh, so I'll, I'll told you uh, this. We're going to look at a bunch of different passages today. We're, we're going to talk about the nature of this Trinitarian God that we confessed the creed about uh, just a few minutes ago. And I think Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, get at what I hope happens for our church in this series. Though I could say this is kind of a hope that I have every week for our church. 
Paul, I mean, he's got a bigger thing going on in his letter to the Colossians, uh, but he's, um, he's talking in these verses about people who he hasn't even met personally who believe in Jesus. And so in a sense, he's even talking to you and I. This is the heartbeat of the series. Paul says, I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be knit together by strong ties of love. We're going to get to kind of a foundational reason for why Paul would say such a thing. I want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan. There is a lot of mystery around this God who has revealed himself to us. And what does Paul say? God's mysterious plan is Christ himself. Christ himself. So obviously, as an Advent series leading to Christmas, we're going to talk about Jesus. I think in some fun ways that maybe some of you haven't thought about before. And then Paul goes to the next line, which again, I hope, I hope you're believing this more and more and learning what this means in your own discipleship journey. In him, in Christ, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And again, that all is kind of important. He doesn't say some of the all and everything you're looking for is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Christ. And he here, Paul says, is the heart of God's secret plan. He is the treasure. He is the one in whom you must find your way. (laughs) He's the goal. He's the center of the cosmos, the key to life and the universe, the image of the invisible God. And you could also say he's the clue in the middle of the story of humanity that gives you hope and confidence around how it's all going to end. Again, that's one of the pieces of Advent. As we look at Christ's first coming, Advent is about waiting for his second coming. He's the clue in the middle of our story that tells us how it all wraps up. And what it's all about. If you find Jesus, you found the treasure. And you'll find that all the wisdom and knowledge that ever there was finds its fullest meaning in him. If you can learn, and this is part of the journey of discipleship and what our church is about. If you can learn to put Jesus in the middle of your understanding of the world then maybe, just maybe, the world will stop spinning in incomprehensible circles. And start to make a whole lot more sense. So we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about love. And throughout, we're going to need to have some sense of an understanding of the Trinity. So this morning, we're going to hone in on the Trinity. And if you're anything like me, you might not be. I mean, God graces us all with different stories and different testimonies. And every one of them is beautiful. You need to know that. (laughs) Some people are like, my testimony is boring. There is no boring testimony. If God called you and you said, yes, it's awesome. (laughs) But for most of us, we heard about this Jesus. We heard about what we call the gospel, the good news. It's the story of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Usually we're told something about how he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, that we needed him to save us, that he's our savior and he's our Lord. And there's something about that story and and the time that we hear and the movement of the spirit in our lives. And it just moves us. And we say yes. Yes to God. And yes to life. And yes to forgiveness. And we want to be more than we are. 
And then along the way, you enter a church or a Christian community and you begin to get discipled and you're told, yes, Jesus is God, but he's a part of what we call a Godhead. Christians believe in a Trinitarian God, one God, three persons. And so you're just kind of told that as a fact. One of the things I want to do in this series is invite you into the story underlying that fact. I want you to see why this is so significant and how it unfolds. We aren't just, I mean, the, the word Trinity doesn't pop into the church language until the, until the fourth century, really around the time when that creed was written. <laughs> and so, so I want us to, in the series, as we, as we work through Advent, I want us to feel some of the story as it unfolds. And also begin to understand, because this is critical, and this is, this is without historical debate. It doesn't matter where you're at on your spiritual journey. In the first century, there was a Jewish messianic movement. Christianity began. It was a movement of Jews who believed in one God, very much monotheistic. But their scriptures, their story, their understanding of who this God is, somehow, and, and we'll talk about this in our series, open the door for them to understand this God as, as a community of love, as a complex unity. So from the very earliest days of the church, you had Christians who believed in one God, often we call the Father, also praying to the Son, Jesus, and worshiping the Son, Jesus, and singing hymns to Jesus, and in some of the most radical ways, which we may look at in the series, I'm not sure yet, but we will look at Wednesday night if you come to Form by Story, taking quotations from the Old Testament, the sacred scripture, and in places where the author talks about Yahweh, the unique name of the one and only God, and Paul has no problem just leaving out Yahweh and putting in Jesus, <laughs> How does that happen? What is going on? What is going on in this biblical story that allows for an understanding of God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And why should we care? Does it matter for us? So today I want to begin that journey. The next four weeks we'll go farther with it. Primarily this morning what I want to do is really try to answer the question of why it matters for you and for me. Because it matters. It matters why you're here and what you're about and what you're living for and where you're going for peace and hope. It matters. We'll get there. So there's really, I think, three, maybe, maybe you could say, but I think there's three ingredients for how this early group of Christians became so comfortable with talking about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The first ingredient, I've already kind of said, is the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. You could say it this way, the, the apostles were convinced that the Hebrew Bible created the boundary markers for the playing field when you talk about God. So they refuse, if you, if you start talking about God in a way that's different than the way the Hebrew authors talked about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, you're out of bounds. You have to stay within the boundary of the Old Testament story to talk about the one true God who is our creator and our redeemer, our, our Lord. And so that's ingredient number one. You don't really get the fullness of an understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, we'll talk about this in our series. But what you get is an open door to see how God may just be this community of love. But you don't get clarity on that until ingredient number two, Jesus, happens, right? 
Because Jesus, I mean, we could go all the way through, and we will, this series, talk about Jesus. But primarily for this morning and for this series, uh, what Jesus does is he begins to use language to talk about himself and God as father and son. So a lot of our church is in BSF right now, some of you men and some of you women, and you're going through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the clearest biggest expression of getting into Jesus using this language. And we'll read one verse from there this morning. But I'll just give you an example from Matthew chapter 11. It's this little prayer from Jesus. He says, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Verse 27, and this is where you get it. My my father has entrusted everything to me. I mean, Jesus has this unique understanding of his relationship with the father. No one truly knows the the son except the father. That's interesting. And no one truly knows the father except the son. Interesting. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. This unique relationship. So ingredient number two involves how Jesus talks about himself and God in the Gospels as father and son. It's also interesting how Jesus talks about himself. We've had a bunch of new faces at Crossy, and I've been getting some sit-down time with people. And I got a chance to share testimonies a couple weeks ago. I hadn't gotten to share my testimony for a while. It was fun. I like to share what God has done in my life. And a big part of my testimony is sophomore year. I'm wrestling with the question, is Jesus who he claims to be? Through the lens of C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis makes it pretty clear, Jesus claims to be God. (laughs) And so he's either a liar, he knows he's not God, and he's just trying to fool people, which is horrible. Or he's a lunatic, he thinks he's God and he's not, which is also pretty dangerous. Or he really is the Lord himself. I mean, I can tell you my sophomore year of college, Jesus made that crystal clear to me that he is everything he claims to be. So, so ingredient two involves Jesus, the way he talks about himself and the father and this father and son dynamic, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But it also involves how Jesus talks about this Old Testament story. Uh, he has one of the things that I, a lot of people say you need to have this. I don't know that everybody really knows what this means. And Part of my heartbeat here at Crossview is to help us know what this means. He has a Jesus hermeneutic. (laughs) At Crossview, we talk about learning how to read all of the Bible with Jesus at the center, Jesus as your guide. If you begin to see some of the ways that Jesus is interacting with this Old Testament story, you and I might say he seems to be reinterpreting some things around himself. But what I think would be more accurate to say is he's bringing clarity to the story as it's always been meant to be heard, but we just couldn't see it until he came. (laughs) But that's a Jesus hermeneutic, learning how to see how this whole story is about him leading to him and culminates in him. That's the Jesus story. So, So what Jesus says about his relationship with the father, he as the son, And then what he says, the way he talks about the Hebrew scripture, again, those are our boundaries. We can't go outside of those boundaries. He stays in the boundaries and he's just showing how everything is really about him. Every feast, every law, everything is about him. It's incredible. And then the third ingredient, uh, Jesus alludes to it. And we talked about it last week. He talks about this other paraclete is the Greek word uh, that we call them the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, this other one who would come after him. So ingredient one, 
Old Testament scripture, Hebrew Bible. Ingredient two, Jesus and all that's around him. Ingredient three would be Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the experience of the Holy Spirit, which the book of Acts is celebrating. We have to talk a lot about that it's, it's important. Those three things together give us the, the ingredients for our recipe, if you will, this morning of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of love. And I think our next year really will have a little bit of a Trinitarian feel to it. Uh, we'll do this series, and then after Christmas, we have 12 weeks until Easter. So we're going to go through the book of Hebrews. I've never preached through the book of Hebrews, so I'm excited about that. We'll cover the book of Hebrews in those 12 weeks. Then we'll have Easter, and then we'll do a series on the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Just to, I get excited about this stuff. You can pretend to be excited, too. It's all right. But let's go back to this unique relationship. I'm going to mention a book that I was interacting with this week. I haven't read the whole thing, and I'm always careful about recommending a book that I haven't read the whole way through. But people I trust who have read the whole thing really like this book. Uh, I actually think our youth group may have taken a look at it a few years ago. But it's a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. It's a thoughtful book, The Importance of the Trinity. And in the book, Reeves raises the question, what was God doing before anything existed? I mean, again, this is going to stretch your mind. This is where we're getting into the realm of guesswork and mystery. But, but what was God doing before creation? And Reeves submits to us that this question, if you, if you really do allow yourself to wrestle with this question, it may expose many unexamined assumptions you have about who God is and what he's doing in the world and why you're here. <laughs> it's an important question. What was God doing before creation? Now, we don't, again, we don't really know the answer, but we always turn to Jesus. He's our guide. And Jesus actually says something that gives us a little bit of an insight. We'll just kind of start to pull a thread in the Gospel of John, and then we'll pull it a little bit farther before we're done this morning. But in John chapter 17, this amazing prayer, that near the very end of this, and we, we'll probably return to this prayer because of the way Jesus talks about this language later in the, in the series. But at, near the end of this prayer, Jesus says this. He's praying to the Father, verse 24. Father, and I, I, this first part is profound in and of itself, and maybe this is all the good news you need this morning. <laughs> Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. This Jesus wants you to be with him. Jesus wants you to be with him. I think that's significant. <laughs> King of kings, Lord of lords, handpicks you to be with him. And then he says this, then they can see all the glory you gave me, listen to this, because you loved me even before the world began. So we don't really know, and we don't want to go too far down a road of guesswork of what God was doing before creation, but we can say this, the Father was loving the Son. And the son was receiving the love of the father. We talk about, I mean, the Hebrew God, the Hebrew Bible that reveals God to us, introduces us to a God who says he is, I am who I am. What we've called the eternal now, the source of all life. 
And what Jesus seems to be telling us is that the eternal state of God for a Christian is the Father loving the Son, and we can add this with other scripture, in and through the Spirit. And if you begin, and I'll try to take us down this road a little bit farther, but if you allow this biblical truth about who God is to seep into your soul, it can revolutionize how you live. Because it tells you that God is an eternal community of love. Why is this so important? Why is this so unique? Because really, most other religions you look at, you're going to find a God who is solitary and alone. And it can raise the question, again, this is guesswork, and it's all hypothetical, but, but if God were solitary, a, a single being, then, then the, the answers to the question, why did he create, may be different. Maybe he was bored. Maybe he was lonely. Maybe he just, maybe he had a power complex and he just wanted to, to show how strong he is. We, there's all kinds of questions of, but, 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 if God for eternity has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a community of love, do you understand that God didn't create out of necessity? He created out of joy and delight. And you... Maybe I'll come back to this. You are not some resource to be used. (laughs) You're not a means to an end. You're an end in yourself. God made you to be a vessel that receives his love and then pours out over it because you were made in his image. That's, That's why you're here, to receive the love of God and share the love of God. Anything else you live for, and you're going to find a whole lot of empty treasure chests. I can tell you that. You can believe me, or you can stay on the course you're on, and you'll eventually discover it. (laughs) But if you have faith to trust in this God and to look to Jesus to be your source of all wisdom and knowledge, you may just discover that what he says about love can change your life. It can change your life. God is an eternal community of love. That it is just God's heartbeat to overflow with grace and generosity. In his book, Michael Reeves says this, This God simply doesn't fit the mold of any other God. The Trinity is not some inessential add-on to God, some optional software that can be plugged into him. At bottom, in essence, this God is not, first of all, creator or ruler or even deity in some abstract sense. He is Father, loving his Son in the fellowship of the Spirit. A God who is in himself a community of love, who before all things could never be anything but love. And if you trust and come to know such a being, it changes absolutely everything. Even before we existed, even before God created the world, God was love in his own being. God didn't start loving when he loved his creation. God's love for us is the overflowing of the love that God is eternally. Now that's kind of theological, maybe a little philosophical, a little abstract. So let's get as basic as we can get. Here's a kid's book. Uh, My son's 14, so I haven't dusted this off for a while, but I thought of it this weekend. I may have even read from this once before. Some of you know this book, Guess How Much I Love You. You know this book? I'll just read the first couple pages, and then I'll tell you how it ends. 
But, but as I said, as we're talking about the love of God, the infinite love of God, the eternal love of God, a God who is three in one, we're getting to the limits of our language. And so that's why we'll so often find ourselves talking about metaphors or analogies because language isn't precise enough to get us to where we want to be. So we have to use these images and stories and pictures. And this is a good one. Little nut brown hair who was going to bed held on tight to big nut brown hair's very long ears. He wanted to be sure that big nut brown hair was listening. Guess how much I love you, he said. Oh, I don't think I could guess that, said big nut brown hair. This much. I'm just going to do the little, little nut brown. This much, says little nut brown hair, stretching out his arms as wide as they could go. <laughs> well, big nut brown hair, right? That's his dad, had even longer arms. Well, I love you this much. Little nut brown hair said, ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Well, he says, I love you as high as I can reach. He reaches, well, maybe he reaches up to here, right? And big nut brown hair says, well, I love you as high as I can reach, right? I mean, part of what's being communicated is you and I have an imagination and a capacity of love, and our Heavenly Father just blows it out of I mean, even how this book ends, little nut brown hair says, I love you to the moon. And some of you know, what does big nut brown hair say? I love you to the moon and back. But there's a sense that you and I might say to another human being or say to God, I love you. I love you as as far as I can see, as far as my arms can stretch. And God says to you and I, I love you from one end of the cosmos to the other. I love you with a breadth that spans galaxies. That's who God is. Eternally, always has been. That's our God. It's incredible. So as I said in the series, we're going we're gonna to talk about this God and his movement. Jesus, the son, being in heaven in this beautiful place of this dance of love, this community of love with the Father and the Spirit, and then choosing to enter into our broken, rebellious mess to redeem us and save us and rescue us. It's pretty incredible. And we'll talk about how this unfolds and the way the Old Testament sets us up for this so that we create a longing for God to do what only God can do. But as we do this, we're going to be very careful to stay in our boundaries and we'll use the language of the apostles. So to kind of take us down this road of the Trinity, again, the apostles didn't have the language of the Trinity. That came later. But they had a revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so they were really creative in the ways that they communicated it via their writings. So I want to read from John and then we'll read from Paul. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to give you, as we're talking about this mystery, trying to guide you to the treasure that is Jesus, just give you a couple different ways that the apostles wrestled with this idea that God is a community of love. The first is in 1 John. Uh, John was, he lived the longest of the apostles. He probably preached and teached them, taught, teached. There you go. Sorry, all you grandma people. Taught the most. He had the most time to reflect about what all this means. And so he worked hard to boil it down to as simple as he could. And this is, this is, this is one of these passages in Scripture that is so simple. And you'll, and you'll feel it. It's also so profound. It's worth visiting and revisiting and revisiting. 1 John chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? Well, because love comes from God. 
because God is love, because before the foundation of creation, the world, God is love. Anyone who loves then is a child of God and knows this God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. And then John gives us this. John's the one who gives us this. God is love. Now we could do more on this. He doesn't say love is God. He says God is love. A community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then, again, because our world is always challenging us to redefine love in shallow, simplistic, unhelpful, even self-centered ways, which is hilarious to me. It's the opposite of love. John helps remind us what love is. God showed how much he loved us by sending the one and only son, there's only one Jesus, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. We might know the father who is the source of all life, the eternal now. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Self-sacrificial co-suffering, beautiful, Jesus-style enemy love. I mean, just radical. And then he continues on, just wading deeper into the mystery. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Again, we were made for love in the image of love. So you will find the, the fullest treasure of meaning that you're living for, peace that you're hoping for by learning how to love one another as God has loved you. We ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. What in the world? And his love is brought to full expression in us. John is talking about an experience. He knows that God is living in him and that this love is finding expression through his ministry. So now he turns back to this identity of a triune God. Verse 13, God, the Father, has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he lives in us. Further, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the savior of the world. And again, why do we talk so much about Jesus, mention the name of Jesus, lift up the name of Jesus? Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them. And that's real life. Do you want to have real life, eternal life, life that just keeps going, life to its full, abundant life, satisfying life? (laughs) That kind of life, Jesus life? Well, it comes with a declaration. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is Lord. He's our savior. (laughs) And all those who can say that God is living in you and you live in God. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us. And that's a key one. (laughs) He's communicated to us how much he loves us. We'll talk about, we don't always know this. We want to know this. We need to know this. It'll change your life if you know this. He says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Put your trust in his love. And then he says it again in case you missed it. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. He's giving us this amazing picture of who God is in the story of love. Revisit, read it, read it again. Just sit with this. Let your mind Just wrestle with the words that John is using. This is, we have a handed down faith. That's what we mean when we say it's an apostolic faith. And so we use their language as we honor the one true God. 
Well, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. It's an appropriate, I think an appropriate Christmassy Advent little passage here. It's a part of a bigger argument dealing with the law. We're not going to get into that this morning, but I think you'll see why I want to read this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, virgin birth. Here's Christmas. Subject to the law, he entered into our story. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. This is the part I want you to hone in on this morning. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Again, if you're tracking, this community of love has created you to be a part of his family of love. That's why you're here. Verse 6, and because we are his children, again, here you get this, God the Father has sent, and it's interesting how Paul says it here, the Spirit of his Son. This is where, again, is the way the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're, they're three in one. I mean, they're just, they're one God, but they're also distinct, and you just gotta, you gotta sit with the mystery in that. But that's how our God is a community of love. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. And when that happens, what does Paul say? When the Spirit of God is, is moving in your heart, what do, you, what do you cry out? You cry out, Abba, Father! <laughs> Which some of you know, this, some of you don't. Abba is the Aramaic word. Most of the New Testament is written in Greek. Jesus spoke in Aramaic, so Jesus would have prayed to his Abba. Very intimate. Daddy, right? And here, what Paul is saying is, as the Spirit of Jesus is poured, God in us, poured into our hearts as we declare him to be Lord, <laughs> then our natural response to receiving the love of the Father is to be that intimate with him. Daddy, Father, I love you this much. Well, I love you this much. That's what he says. <laughs> he says, now you are no longer a slave. A slave to sin, a slave to your own desires, your own temptations, your own selfish greed. No, you've been set free from that. Now you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You are royalty. You are prince and princess. You are heirs of the kingdom. That's good news. God the Father sends forth the spirit of his son into our hearts and invites us into the eternal community of love. God the Father cares for us. He nurtures us. He watches over us. He directs us in his love. God the Son is God in loving solidarity with us. God as Jesus, with us in our human world, giving himself for us in his human life and human death. And God the Holy Spirit is God's love in the depths of our being, sharing God's love with us so that we can love with God. God's love. He empowers and equips us. He changes and transforms us. It is only because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God can love us in the way he does. Only because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God can be caring, self-sacrificial, self-giving love. And you and I are invited into this. Which is why at Crossview, it's common for us to talk about how You were made for love. The center of God's universe is love. Love is the foundation. It's the zenith. We talk about the mathematics of love that Paul unfolds in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Anything minus love is nothing. Why? Because for eternity past into eternity forever, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist as a community of love. Anything minus love? Nothing. And Paul also says that love never fails. So anything plus love is still love. (laughs) 
John says God is love. Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. Love is at the heartbeat of, of, of creation. Love holds all things together. It's more powerful than the nuclear forces that hold an atom together. You might even call that love. That's <laughs> uh, at the center of creation. There's nothing more important in life than learning to love. But before you do that, most of the time you have to learn to be loved. So that's where I want to kind of wrap us up as we head into our communion time. Uh, I was thinking about this. I, I've, I've been, through the years, I've kind of grown in my prayer time. And, and I, do, I do actually make requests of God. And I pray for people. I pray for myself. I pray for our church. I pray for our world. But I've learned to not make my desires be the center of my prayer life. I've tried to learn to just sit with Jesus in the center of my prayer time and just be with him. And oftentimes, how I will go about do that is, is just I ask one question. Maybe it's for the day. Maybe it's for the week. It's a variety. I might ask questions about who God is, what he's doing in my life, what he sees in me, what he's doing in our church, what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in our communities. From time to time, I will ask God questions, and I will wait for an answer. And, and usually it takes a little bit of time for him to, to give me an answer, but not too long, but I, I do believe he answers me. And because I knew I was preaching on love this weekend, I went into the Thanksgiving holiday asking Jesus, how much do you love me? How much do you love me? And can you show me? Will you show me? And I, and I realized when I ask Jesus questions like this, I usually immediately think of a way he can show me, right? I got all kinds of ways you can show me you love me, Jesus. But his ways are always more perfectly timed and more creative and more subtle. Just even more profoundly powerful yet humble. I don't know. So my moment this week, I'm, I'm not kidding. We went, we went home for my, my, we went with my wife's family, with Kami's family in Ohio. And it was Friday. Um, and I'm working on a puzzle with my niece. She's in high school. I love my niece. I just wasn't expecting her to be the agent of God's love this weekend. <laughs> it's just her and I working on this puzzle. And she, I, I didn't even realize I, I had a question I wanted somebody to ask me. I just, I didn't want to like share this, but I wanted somebody to ask me. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be pursued. It was my high school niece. She asked me the question. I wasn't, it just, it caught me off guard. I, I felt my soul fill up. I felt seen. I felt loved. I felt like she wanted to know something that I wanted to share. And behind all of that, I, I just felt like my heavenly father was smiling over me. It's a question worth asking. I've asked it a lot. The first time I remember asking it, it didn't take long. About 30 seconds in, I remember God saying, I love you more than you love your son. <laughs> and that knocked me to my, I mean, just emotion. I got emotional. Because I love Jay a whole lot. And God loves me more. I mean, ask God to show you how much he loves you. To communicate to you. Because he wants to. And let me just give you, you know, I'm always looking for ways to talk about what's, you know, language takes us to our limits. And to talk about the, the inexpressible. And so much of how we encounter God and experience God, it's, it's tricky. So we're grasping for language. But, but here's one little possibility. I, so I, I read this in the book of somebody else sharing their own time of sitting with Jesus. And I think it's been true for me. And so I offer it to you. I think it's, it's accurate to how Jesus approaches us when we ask him 
How much do you love me? I think Jesus often then, if we ask that question, looks at us. If you can see him looking you in your eyes, if you're sitting with Jesus, I think his heartbeat is, I don't want you to have to ask me. I want you to learn how to hear me saying to you all the time, I can't stop saying this. I'm always trying to demonstrate to you how much I love you because from eternity past, I've been nothing but love. (laughs) So I know you're asking, it's fair that you're asked, but I want to get to the place where you don't even have to ask. You just know that you know. What does John say? We know. We know that you love us. And as I said, most of the time we get get stuck. The stuff's in our head. It's hard to get down into our hearts. And so we might say, I want to believe you, but I I know my heart's going to try to deny it. Our heart is always trying to fight this. That's the work of the enemy. But when you can get to the place where, where, where you learn to hear Jesus telling you all the time that he loves you, your heart will stop trying to deny it. And you can just receive it. And maybe this morning you know what I'm talking about. And you say, well, I don't want to deny it. I want to live in the truth. That's good. Say it. Believe it. Think it. Pray it. And God will come to you. And in his own perfectly creative ways, he will tell you, I love you. I love you. And I actually believe he will tell you that his whole being is at work pursuing you with mercy and goodness and love. (laughs) Over and over again, all he wants to do is tell you how much he loves you. And I preach the same sermon. I mean, it's always a little different, but basically the same sermon first service. And one of our elder, elderly uh, members, they said, I can't quote them. I want to tell you who it was, but he said, I can't do it. But he just came up to me after the sermon and he said, Jeff, you are absolutely right. He said, if you want to honor God, you have to let him love you. You have to humble yourself and allow yourself to receive the love that God has always wanted to pour out on you. So that's what I want to pray into right now. If you'd bow your heads as we prepare ourselves for communion. I want to pray into you and I receiving the love of God so that it can change us. Uh, Jesus, even right now, as we pray to you, uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray, we pray to you, the one true God. Uh, just a picture over this congregation. I, I picture the baptism scene of Jesus. Uh, Obviously, Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. He is the only one who is truly God and truly human. But but as as, as we allow the Spirit of God to move in our lives, as the Spirit of God comes upon us and we are adopted into this family, we become kind of little brothers and sisters. And I believe over this whole room right now, the Father is saying, Well done. I love you. You are my beloved children. (laughs) And we want to be a people who receive this as our truest identity and live into this. The Spirit of God is just, just like a dove falling into our hearts so that God is in us as we are in God and we are invited into this eternal community of love. Would we be a people we know that we don't deserve it, but we want to be humble enough and wise enough to receive this gift of love so that we can live into the fullness of life. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.